Jill Bennett on Brooklyn's Radio. Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters. Good afternoon, everyone. It's Jill Bennett here, and I'm back again for this month's Your Health Matters. September is Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month, and this is a a national recognition that was established by the Foundation for Women's Cancer in 1999. Each year in the UK, over 21,000 women are diagnosed with a gynecological cancer. And this special awareness month provides an important opportunity to draw attention to this very, very delicate and important women's health issue. And it also is a chance to offer vital information on risk cancers, warning signs and prevention strategies. On this month's Your Health Matters, we have got some amazing guests, lots of lovely, brave people who've come to talk to us. And also we've got one lovely lady who's been with us before. So we have Dr. Alexander Norman, Christina Ewins, Gemma Hodgkiss, Pandy Dean, Vicky Allen, Helen Ravenko, and Sylvie Allsop. We're going to start, first of all, by talking to Dr. Norman. Now, he is the primary care lead for NHS Surrey and Sussex Cancer Alliance. So please, um, Dr. Norman, tell us a little about the Cancer Alliance and your roles, please. Hi, many thanks for having me on, Jill. Um, thank you for the kind introduction. Uh, so I, I am actually a GP in Cobham, in Surrey. Uh, it's my day job and my bread and butter. Um, but I also, because of my specialist interest in cancer, uh, have been at Surrey and Sussex Cancer Alliance for the last three years as the primary care lead, um, working with a colleague in Sussex. But I mainly look at and try and support Surrey. Uh, so we try and support education of GPs and primary care Um, as well as developing pathways uh, to try and support earlier diagnosis of of cancers across the board, as well as then um, uh, uh, supporting primary care in in supporting the uh, patients who are living with and beyond cancer who have hopefully had successful treatment. And so it's it's lots of things. It's education, it's pathway design, uh, it's it's helping those patients live a better life um, uh, through diagnosis and living with and beyond. Great. What, t- Dr. Dr. Norman, how many gynae cancers are there altogether? So there's lots of subtypes. So there's probably about five uh, uh, gynecological cancers, uh, but three main ones, really. So there's uh, cervical, endometrial or uterus or womb. Um, and ovarian are the three main uh, gynae cancers. They're also vulval and vaginal, but they're a lot rarer. Um, and so we really focus perhaps mainly on the top three of cervical, endometrial and ovarian, which unfortunately have the largest numbers of diagnoses. Could you share with us some sort of insight on signs and symptoms and obviously the importance of early diagnosis? Sure. So they're all slightly different, although there's a lot of overlap um, with them. If you're OK, I'll just break them down individually of the, mm. of the main three. So, so cervical cancer is, is mainly, unfortunately, um, uh, younger women. Um, that presents and it's it's often abnormal bleeding so um, bleeding uh, in between periods when you wouldn't expect uh, bleeding to be happening or painful uh, 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 intercourse and bleeding after intercourse Uh, those sorts of things um, might lead you to say I think I need a checkup and go and see your GP or indeed just some discharge that seems different than normal Um, it's always worth checking it out anything slightly different Um, And of course, with cervical, we're very lucky that we've got an excellent national screening program. Um, And and so that really helps with our early detection before you get any signs or symptoms. So it's really important for ladies um, to attend those. And and that has been going on throughout COVID as well, um, uh, uh, making sure that uh, they they continue to attend because screening is when you really get the early diagnosis um, before symptoms come. Endometrial. Um, or womb or uterus um, is, is unfortunately the largest uh, number of, of diagnosis of cancer. Um, it, it's a little bit older. It, it, it's, it's generally the 40 to 75 year olds. Um, uh, uh, and about 10,000 patients, uh, almost 10,000 patients are diagnosed every year in the UK, um, of which about uh, 90% of those, it's postmenopausal bleeding. So after the menopause, 
And then that can be a little bit tricky to know exactly when you've gone through the menopause, that perimenopausal state is, is, is quite tricky. But generally any abnormal bleeding after about 12 months of having gone through, and that's 90% of those cancers are picked up. Um, so any bleeding at all um, uh, after the menopause, we really advocate, get down to your GP, get down to your primary care and say, hi, I need this getting checked out. And then sadly, ovarian um, is, is, is again, about, about, about 7,500 patients get diagnosed um, every year. It's generally an older, uh, older population with the majority being in that sort of 75 to 80 year old. And it's a lot harder to diagnose, unfortunately, and often it's a later stage um, because the signs are so vague, to be honest. Um, so it's, uh, it's abdominal pain, um, it's bloating, it's a feeling of fullness, maybe even wanting to wee a bit more. And then of course there's worrying signs that we always think about weight loss. Um, those signs, again, absolutely get yourself down to, down to your, your practice um, and explain to, explain to them. And, and there are some excellent tests that can rule in and rule out because most of the time it isn't. Um, uh, but, but unfortunately with ovarian, we don't have those early signs and it's, it's been a little bit unfortunate. Um, you might've seen in, in, in the press, uh, about six weeks ago or so, maybe a couple of months ago that trying to do screening for ovarian cancer at Imperial University just didn't prove fruitful, which has been a real disappointment. Um, ovarian cancer is something close to my heart and I, I really want to improve getting that early diagnosis in those patients. Um, so hopefully that's a little bit of an insight of the three main cancers in terms yeah. of symptoms. That's really useful. So the uterus and the um, cervical, not cervical, the uterus and the, um, oh, my mind's just gone completely no. blank. No. <laughs> and the um, ovarian, generally yeah. they're in the older lady, but they can that's occur cool. at any time, can't they? That, that, I, I, I've learned, learned over my years of being a GP is to never be absolute. Um, you, you absolutely, unfortunately, there are always outliers. There's always people that, oh gosh, you're a bit too young. But, but sadly, yeah. And we are seeing a shift in some cancers to younger age groups, as, as again, we've, we've seen in the press recently, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, no, absolutely. You should never discount just because of age. But, but the majority generally for, for the, the uterus womb cancer and the ovarian it is in the older population over 40s generally. Okay, perfect, perfect. Thank you. Christina. So Christina Ewins has um, been on the show before. She is a Grace researcher and fundraiser. Christina, please tell us more about your role again, because there will be people listening who have, didn't hear your first interview. And, um, and give us an update on the exciting Mirrors research, please. So my role is a bit of a mouthful. I'm a senior clinical research fellow in robotic gynecological oncology. So essentially I have a dual role. I have a clinical role as a gynae cancer uh, registrar fellow. And I also have a role as a researcher and that's where I've been running the MIRRORS trial. So the MIRRORS study is looking at, can we provide the same surgery that women with advanced ovarian cancer require using a robotic platform, so using the da Vinci robot. Typically, women with advanced ovarian cancer will have surgery that requires a big cut down the middle of the tummy, and that will either be before or in the middle of chemotherapy. Now, for the mirror study, what we've um, been doing as part of our feasibility study, so is this possible, do women want it, is in women who have chemotherapy first and then are considered for surgery in the middle of their treatment, if they have a pelvic mass less than eight centimetres, we've offered them the option of having the robotic surgery. And if they agree, we'd pop a camera in, assess whether they're suitable for robotic surgery and then proceed either robotically or open, depending on the findings. And at any point, if open surgery was required and we'd started robotically, we'd then convert to open. And, you know, it's it's, it's been much better than we even expected it to be. A much larger proportion of ladies have been suitable for robotic surgery. Women have, you know, almost... 100%, not quite, but, you know, have volunteered to be as part of the study, which is incredible because for a surgical study, you'd be lucky if you get like 25% of women agreeing to join in. And, you know, women have seen the benefits of having the increased recovery, etc. And, you know, we went forward with this, this trial feeling that it would be of most benefit to the elderly and the frail who maybe wouldn't... Um, respond well or it would take a very long time to recover but actually we found it's the younger women who've really appreciated the lack of a big interruption in their lives so 
So they've been able to come into hospital and go home after one or two days rather than be in hospital for six to 10 days with long um, intensive care surgery. So we've been amazed at actually how well it's been received and how well how well it's gone. Um, we've closed our recruitment. We're in the follow-up period. So we're just tying all the loose ends and we, you know, we hope to be reporting the initial results towards the end of this month, end of October, around about this time. So it's quite exciting. And then the second bit that we've been doing is something called our mirrors survey, where we've been trying to get feedback from professionals, but also patients themselves and their loved ones, so their partners, their family, their friends, anybody who's got well, essentially anybody who, who has any interest in ovarian cancer um, and really getting their views on robotic surgery. So what do professionals think of the idea of using robotic surgery for advanced ovarian cancer? What do women think? Or what do husbands think? What do family members think? You know, is this something that people want? Um, and it's a quick online surge, survey and we're keen to get as many responses for that as possible. Fantastic. So it's gone really, really well. And you can understand really, can't you? Because if you have something wrong with you, you just want to get better as soon as possible. And if this speeds up that time, then it's uh, it's all for the greater good, really. I understand your training for the Royal Park Talk Marathon as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there was a space needing filled. And for some reason, I decided it'd be a good idea to sign up for that with six months, well, six weeks, sorry, six weeks to train. So usually you get 16 weeks to train for a half marathon. And yeah, I'm doing it in six. Um, I'd run four times this year up until <laughs> until I agreed to do this. So my training has kicked off with a vengeance. Um, I, from for, for somewhat selfish reasons, I probably need a little bit of a, a push to get back into it. It's something that I really valued in my life. I found running great mentally and physically. It's good stress relief. And Grace is a fantastic charity. So it was sort of a win-win. Yeah. I'm now thinking I'm a bit nuts, but... Yeah, training's going well. <laughs> oh, well, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. We wish you the very best of luck with that. Um, we've also here got Gemma with us. So Gemma, um, Gemma Hodgkiss is Grace's fundraising communications manager. And I'm very grateful to her. We all are at Brooklands because she has arranged all of our wonderful guests for us today. Gemma, please tell us all about Grace and your role there. Thank you. Um, I have to say my job is the easy bit and actually it reflects what I do at Grace. It's bringing the right people together to do brilliant things to improve the future for for women with gynae cancer. So um, today is a brilliant example of all those fabulous people that we work with. Um, Grace was founded by Mr Simon Butler-Manuel to help answer the questions that affect a woman's likelihood of surviving her gynae cancer, but also how to improve that quality of life beyond a diagnosis. Um, So in terms of uh, GRACE stands for Gynecological Research and Clinical Excellence. Um, And from laboratory-based research into why some women respond better to chemotherapy than others, Um, to the benefits of faster recovery um, after surgery, as Christine has spoken about, to even funding specialist equipment to improve the accuracy of delivering radiotherapy. Um, For over 15 years, Grace has been really committed to pushing forward improvements in treatment and recovery and survival rates for women diagnosed, um, as well as raising the awareness of symptoms, um, which in this month is... um, particularly um, apt to be able to talk about it and then my role at Grace works with our clinicians with our fantastic supporters with our researchers to bring all those bits of the pie together and make as much noise about the fantastic work that we're doing and the brilliant people who make it possible. Fantastic Chris, uh, Gemma thank you so much for talking to us um, you're doing a great job there and I know you work with Nicola who I've had lots of dealings with in the past as well so you've got a brilliant team there and I'm sure everyone here is really, really grateful. Um, We've also got with us today Pandy. Pandy Dean is a Grace woman and a fundraiser, and she's raised an amazing amount of money and had her own journey with cancer. So, Pandy, tell us about your journey and how it led you to to doing some fundraising. Hi, Jill. So I was um, diagnosed in September 2016, um I went to the doctors I was work, one of the lucky ones actually I went to the doctors it, just in August I think five four five weeks before no more than that 
and it was a bit of a whirlwind. I was very lucky, I think, after speaking to many other women that I um, was taken notice of straight away, considering that I had no symptoms whatsoever. I was still teaching, I was working six days a week, I would teach dance most nights or do other classes, I was still running and walking, I was very, very fit. Um, and the only reason I really went to the doctors is I was going through the menopause and it was a bit pants, it was starting to get a bit of a pain in the bum, so I um, I just went to see her and I, I didn't um, go and see the doctor a lot, I was very blessed, I was very rarely ill. So... Um, Thinking back, I had a little bit of bloating, but vanity, I thought it was just sort of the middle-aged spread. And if I'm honest, I just didn't like the bloating. I wanted to get rid of the bloating. I think I wanted some magic pill to make me slim again. <laughs> so, and she said, and that must have just hit a chord with her because she referred me straight away for a transvaginal scan, which took two weeks. I went along didn't think anything of it. I wasn't concerned in the least. Uh, you know, I was t I was too fit. Um, and in less than 24 hours, I had a phone call from the doctor saying that they'd found uh, one mass was oh, 10 centimetres um, and they wanted to investigate further. And, you know, still at that point, I thought either, well, they've got the scans muddled up or they've, I don't, I don't know, it... It was just bonkers and I really didn't think anything more of it until I went back and I waited, I just waited for the letter. Didn't really, I told my husband obviously, but I didn't, I didn't speak to friends because I couldn't quite absorb that I would have anything wrong with me at all. Um, so then went along to Frimley Park and um, spoke to another doctor. Then it sort of started to hit home, maybe there was something wrong here that they hadn't got the test middled up with somebody else and it was just a whirlwind of events then it was so quick into surgery and um, that I had at the Royal Surrey at St Luke's um, and uh, Mr Chatterjee who's one of the um, associates of Grace I think um, and went into surgery came out of it a week in hospital intensive care and then home and then two weeks later I was diagnosed with stage 3C carcinosarcoma. So it had had a good old run round the insides. It had gone, you know, onto the, my bowel, my bladder, my appendix, my omentum, every ovaries. It was, you know, it was just so. The shocking thing for me was that I was so well. I couldn't believe that it had sort of gone and and it was it had spread. I don't know how long it had been there. I I've no idea. Um, and then from that into chemo for um, six months, five, six months of chemo. That was that was tough, chemo. Um, and then out the other side. And it was while I was having my chemo that uh, Mr Chatterjee, Jay Chatterjee, got me in touch with Grace. So, and it was the first marathon, the first three peaks then, I think, that was coming up. And I did that. And it, originally he'd said to me, you can, there's a little, there's a, a six mile is there. Gemma, I think that there's three, isn't there? So there's a there's a six miler, a thirteen, a 13 mile, and a twenty six mile. So he said you can just do the little one because you're just out of chemo. <laughs> that was never going to happen. So I did the twenty six mile. <laughs> you know what? That was a that was a, a big moment for me because I thought I'm going to get through this, and uh, because my prognosis was pretty pants I have to say they said it would I they gave me a year maybe three years if I was lucky and I'm this September I'm five years on September the 27th I'm five years free yes so yes so we've done three more marathons then since then haven't we and lots more to come I'll speak to you in another five years at 10 years and tell you I'm getting on <laughs> yeah that's fantastic. And I think it's it's sentiment to you and your fitness level and your health level that you've got through that relatively easily. Yeah. Do you know what? I, th I think my saving grace, the hardest thing I had to do and the and also the best thing that I did was that I I didn't start Googling things um I didn't I, I just left it and I'm not I'm used to do all having my own business and I'm not one I'm not a good one for sharing things around so um but right at the very beginning I thought I'm just going to leave my tea my oncologist and my nurses to 
I had great, I put great trust in them. I put all my trust in them so that I could focus on my mental state because I thought this is where it's going to affect me more than really. So I did, I just did everything they told me to do to the letter. And then I just went out and, and had a good time and, you know, drank wine and lots of loveliness like that. <laughs> but it was, that was the best thing I did. I just, and I had a great team. It, the Royal Surrey was just amazing. Fantastic. Really good. Yeah. Which is, which is brilliant. And I think the positive mindset as well is key in all of this. We're it just... Yeah. Saving grace, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're just going to take a quick ad break and we'll be back after these messages. Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters. Hi, this is Helen at the Marianne's Community Cafe opposite Debenhams in Staines. We're busy serving teas, coffee and light refreshments, plus some delicious cakes daily. We also have a welfare benefits advisor for all members of our community who will help with confidential advice and support with form filling on welfare benefits. And our trained team will help with all aspects of care, support and more. When you bring a friend, their first regular tea or coffee is on us, based on one visit per day. Find us on Thames Street in Staines. Marianne's is operated by Surrey Disabled People Partnership. Find out more on SDP. I'm so glad you're open. Thank goodness you're here. Do you ever close? Did you know the pharmacy at 20 Church Street, Weybridge is open 100 hours every week to meet your immediate medical needs? We're here for you from 7am to 11pm weekdays, 7am to 9pm Saturdays and 10am to 4pm on Sundays. Our friendly and knowledgeable team can provide you with the advice you need as well as helping you with repeat prescriptions, all the -the over-the-counter products you would expect, and if you can't get in to visit us, we will deliver to you. The Pharmacy, 20 Church Street, Weybridge. We're here when you need us, 100 hours every week. If you love film music of all kinds, then Hunter's Hollywood Hits and Britflix is the show for you. Every Thursday, escape into the exciting world of the movies with soundtracks that transport you right into the films. From special shows dedicated to legendary composers to theme shows dedicated to different genres, you can hear a mixture of classic themes as well as well-known songs that feature in films. So, all you film fans, be sure to catch Hunter's Hollywood Hits and Brit Flicks with me, Suzanne Hunter, every Thursday at 9pm, only on Brooklyn's Radio. It's Jill Bennett on Brooklyn's Radio. So welcome back. We are talking about September and it being Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month. Um, And we've got lots of amazing people on here that have been all put together for us by lovely Gemma from Grace Charity. Um, We've just spoken to Pandy, who's raised an extremely large amount of money for Grace. And um, we're going to talk now to Vicky. Vicky Allen, please tell us your story and how you became involved as a Grace fundraiser. Hi there. Yes, I am. I've known Pandy for over 20 years and we were both fitness instructors together. We had a Zumba business together. So we would teach together on the stage together and we did loads of dancing and shows and all sorts of stuff. So that's why it was such a shock when we found out about Pandy, because she's one of the fittest people I know. Um, so it was a real, I mean, obviously a shock to her, but a shock to all of everyone around her because everyone could not believe how such a vibrant and amazing fit woman could suddenly, you know, take a turn and have, you know, such a serious cancer. And then, so I sort of was there, hopefully, to support her through the surge when she had her surgery. I remember just after she had her surgery, she showed me a piece of paper which had all of the bits that they'd taken out of her. I think it was a list of 14 things. And we were like, we didn't even know we had them. We didn't even know what these items were that they've now taken out. Anyway, so she was um, obviously quite poorly, very poorly. And then the chemo went ahead. And it's, it's really upsetting as a friend to see someone so full of life, so very, very ill. And she really was, excuse me, quite ill. Oh, <laughs> 
anyway, so Pandy um, has done so much fundraising for Grace. I know, is it Je Gemma, you know, don't you, how much? I mean, she has done three marathons. She has done dance shows. She has done Strictly Come Dancing. It's just, you know, it's, I don't know how much it is, but it must be tens and tens and tens of thousands of pounds. So. If I if I let if I jump in, um the, the three peaks walk that you did last weekend, Pandy, I think tips you over the forty thousand pound mark for Grace. Wow. So That's it is good. a huge amount. That's amazing, isn't it? Vicky, you should be very, very proud of yourself on all counts, on all fronts. You've done an amazing job. And how lovely to have Vicky by your side as a as a really, really good friend. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And, and was it the wonky, the wonky Wanderers? Tell us about the Wonky Wanderers. So, oh, do you want to do that? Oh, yeah. I, I had, a, before I got ill, I had a shop, an interior design shop called um, the Wonky Donkey Shop. Just because I love donkeys, to be fair, and I couldn't think of a name for the shop. <laughs> <laughs> so we called it the Wonky Donkey Shop. So after, every, after that, everything that I seem to do has got some... Um, connection to a donkey in it, the wonky donkey. So the wonky wanderers seemed apt to call it the wonky wanderers. Um, and we, last year, I think when we did it, we had 32 wonky, were we called? must have been the year before. Oh yes, of course, because of lockdown, yes. So the year before we did it, we had 32 um, wonky wanderers. So it was just a name that sort of carried on from the shop, the wonky donkey, the wonky wanderers. But it's a nice It's, it's a lovely yeah. name. Yeah, it's a fun name. No, I think that's yeah. brilliant. But it, but it is a very long way. <laughs> 26 miles. It is a long way. I have run a marathon, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was much younger when I did that. <laughs> Funnily yeah. enough, last weekend I did one of the Macmillan um, Mighty Hikes at the Jurassic Coast, and I was told by my brother-in-law who'd done it before that it wasn't that hilly. He's going to be murdered when I see him next weekend. <laughs> I'm not sure my hips have, have recovered quite yet. Um, okay. Let's have a word with Helen then. So Helen Ravenko is another amazing Grace woman. She's um, a trustee and a fundraiser. Helen, tell us about your journey and how this led to you being involved with Grace. Well, at the start of 2018, when I was in my early 60s, I developed a colourless discharge. Uh, there was no obvious sign of bleeding and also a sharp pain. So my GP referred me to Royal Surrey County Hospital, where many, I think actually most, of the Grace clinicians work. And in April of the same year, I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer. Now, I think I'm probably an example of the benefits of early diagnosis, because I was told that the only treatment I was likely to need was a hysterectomy. So no chemo, no radiotherapy, and that turned out to be the case. And the surgery was carried out, uh, well, first of all, it was keyhole. So I just have four very small incisions. And it was also performed using a robot. And I spent one night in hospital and I didn't experience any pain or even any discomfort afterwards, which even now I find you know, absolutely amazing. And that meant that the really big thing for me during the recovery period was not overdoing it because I did feel very, very well. And also, once the initial shock of the diagnosis wore off, I didn't feel especially stressed, which is not the sort of thing I ever expected to say about a cancer diagnosis. And obviously, a really big part was knowing from a very early stage that my treatment treatment was probably going to be very limited. But also, I think the speed at which everything happened really helped. And that goes right back to my initial um, visits to the GPs. I saw two people, because I go to the doctor very rarely, I don't have a sort of a, a regular GP. And they were both very quick off the mark, referring me to the hospital. The first referral was for a transvaginal ultrasound and then to see a consultant. And the consultant I saw was Simon Butler-Manuel, so the founder and now chair um, of GRACE. Um, and the surgery, so the hysterectomy, 
happened just, I think it was six days after diagnosis. So I think the order of events was something like uh, diagnosis late Friday afternoon, uh, surgery on the following Thursday. And when I said that uh, to some friends, they just assumed that I must have been having private treatment, which wasn't the case at all. I think it was just the NHS operating at its absolute best. And something else that helped to reduce the stress levels was that everyone who was involved in my care was not only highly professional, but also very supportive. And that I think makes just an absolutely huge difference. And given that I was expecting a, a good outcome from the treatment, I found it pretty easy to tell friends and family, and they tended to take their lead from me. So it was all fairly low key, matter of fact, which again is not the sort of thing I would really have expected um, from cancer um, diagnosis. Now, as regards uh, getting involved with GRACE, as soon as I was fit enough to start training, I decided I was going to do a 25 mile walk. Uh, and this was actually for action challenge. And I really pinched the idea from one of the Grace associates, uh, Dr. Kavita Madari, because she had done the walk the year before. And I thought, well, if Kavita with a full time and a half job can find the time to train and do it, I should be able to do that. So I did my first long walk for Grace, which was the 25 mile um, Windsor walk. And I was keen to support the charity because I wanted to be involved with an organization that was working to raise um, outcomes, improve outcomes for women with gynae cancers, especially in what seems to be a rather underfunded area of research. And it was also a way of saying thank you to the gynae oncology department for the excellent care I'd received. And then in 2019, I was invited uh, to be a trustee. And because I'd been under the care of Grace Clinicians, I feel that I have a very sort of personal uh, connection to the charity. And it's nice to be more involved, especially more involved with the decision taking. And now and again, I also have a chance to use the legal knowledge that I've gained from being a solicitor and law lecturer to advise the charity. I am still also doing some fundraising and in June of this year I did another, this was my third um, fundraising walk for Grace and this one was 30 miles and that all went really really well and that was just something I made up myself. Um, action challenge walks were postponed twice because of Covid and I decided if I was going to do 30 miles I wanted something easy so I went for a pancake flat walk along the river way which was actually really good fun. Fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, I like nice flat walks as well. <laughs> Not sure why I chose to do the, the uh, Jurassic Coast. That's brilliant, Helen. Well, it just goes to show, doesn't it, how, you know, if you have symptoms and you notice it, and it can work like clockwork, but mm. I don't know whether, you know, when you are really fit, Pandy, it, it's, it is unusual, I guess. Although that type of cancer, it's harder to, mm. to notice any symptoms at first. Well, we've got one other lovely lady we want to talk to um, and hear her story. And this is Sylvie Allsop. She's another amazing supporter and Grace fundraiser. And Sylvie, I know you've had your own journey with cancer. And that was during lockdown, which must have made it quite difficult. Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, actually, it wasn't during lockdown. I was diagnosed uh, with aggressive ovarian cancer in August 2019, stage two, grade three. Um, actually, uh, this same January in 2019, I had some uh, urinary problem. So um, I went to uh, the GP and they referred me to a gynecologist. And they did a scan and they couldn't find anything on my ovaries. So I just went along with my life. And uh, in May, I went to Turkey and I felt a bit bloated and um, I was constipated and, and the food was not sitting right on, on my stomach. And I thought I blame the Turks for their food. So I just thought, oh, something not quite right. But maybe I've got IBS, which I, I was told I had IBS in the past. 
So I came back from um, from Turkey end of May. I tried different food for a couple of weeks, and at the beginning of June, I said, "Enough is enough. I'm going to see my GP." So I went to see the GP. She did some further tests, um, a transvaginal uh, test, and sent it two weeks later. It came up. It came up uh, non-conclusive. Well. I went and she said, well, we're going to give you a scan in three weeks. And uh, so I waited, but about three days later, uh, I was in pain. So I said, no, no, it's enough. I'm really in pain. And things rolled on from there, feels speed up a little bit. But unfortunately, what people don't know is that um, when I went to hospital for my scan, my CT scan, I was sent for CT scan. And it was traumatic. They sat me down after the scan, put... um, a shield around me and put me in a wheelchair and said, oh, why are you putting me in a wheelchair? I said, do not worry. We're going to call the doctor. The doctor is going to call, is going to be called. So the doctor arrived and he said, I'm ever so sorry, but you've got, I said, have I got cancer? I know I've got cancer. He said, no, you've got a blood clot in your lung. So because ovarian cancer can thicken the blood and you can end up with a blood clot. So I was sent back up with syringe to administer myself and uh, a syringe dispenser. So I was not too happy about that and thought it's going to delay my surgery now. So in order to have this um, ovarian surgery, I had to have an IVC filter, uh, an IVC filter um, put into my artery, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But um, it's to stop all the blood clots uh, during the operation coming to your uh, heart or your lung, just to stop um, any events like that. So I had the operation and um, they thought I was stage three ovarian cancer. But in fact, I was diagnosed with uh, stage 2B. I was going to be one, but unfortunately... Uh, they discovered some uh, a small amount of cell uh, at the bottom of my um, uh, what do you call um, sigmoid colon. So they had to partially remove a part of it, and uh, I was given um, that after that um, a month later, um, after having a DVT acquired in hospital, I was given chemotherapy for four months, and. Um, and that was it. So I was, uh, after the four months, I wasn't given any uh, medication. I felt like I was in a barge without the holes. I, I, did, I wasn't given like a breast cancer, something to prevent the cancer coming back. So I felt quite depressed about it because I felt that I was, I was, I wanted that drug, you know, but because I was stage two, I would not have that drug. So, um, yeah, I felt, um, it was locked down then, and um, my plan was to recover in France and see my family, but that was not possible. So I entered in a bit of a of a depression. So um, um, in order to recover from the depression, I was advised by an oncologist to go to uh, the cancer center and to get them to have some therapy, which has worked uh, beautifully. So uh, I'm glad to say now I am recovered and um, my physical health is good and my mental health is so much better so that's very important to me the future is uncertain of course but i'm much better to um to combat any any you know any obstacle um, along my way so i'm just ready for anything now so um oh i come i'm doing a bit of um of a you know, uh, sponsor for Grace Charity because just to show my gratitude, but also um, for proving that even if we've got ovarian cancer, if we're still well, we can fight. You know, we can carry the fight. And I'm going to be here until I'm well and standing. I will struggle. I will combat all the way. So, um, yeah. So apart from that, um, you know, if you've got any question. <laughs> No, that's brilliant, Sylvie. That's so good. That, And especially that you're now feeling more positive about it. Yeah. Because I think that's a key part of getting yeah, well is, is. is having a positive mindset. It's going to really, really help you mm. um, along with any, any medical interventions that you need. We're mm. just going to take another short break now and yeah. then we'll be, we'll be back. Okay, thank you. 
Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters. Sound familiar? With more people working at home and less time to worry about our posture, it's unsurprising that back and neck pain, migraines and sciatica are all on the rise. Luckily, there's somewhere that's got your back. West Chiropractic in West Byfleet prides itself on being a practice helping people from Surrey and beyond with enthusiasm, experience and expertise. With plenty of five-star reviews, it's a place you truly can trust. Book a free discovery visit now to speak with one of their expert chiropractors and find out how to move forward with a program tailored to your situation. Visit them online at westchiropractic.co.uk. There's no doubt that running a business is tough. But at the moment, it's even tougher than ever. And that's where we can help. Plan C are a team of Surrey business professionals offering free advice for local businesses during these testing times. We offer solutions to your most pressing business challenges. From marketing to human resources, PR to Google ads, business strategy to website design. Post your questions at yourplanc.co.uk. We'll put them to the team come back to you with our thoughts, observations, and most importantly, practical solutions. It's a free service, so why not see if we can help? www.yourplanc.co.uk Emily, Modern Age of Middle Life. It's a podcast. It explains everything that's puzzling in this world. Will it explain to me why people are putting tears in cocktails? Yes, that's in one of our podcasts. Will it tell us the dangers of knitted underwear? Yes. Will it address the benefits of having a David Beckham chocolate fountain in your front drive? Yes. Will we talk about pipistrils an awful lot? The pipistrel bat? Yes. I think we might do. Modern Age, Middle Life, 7.30, middle Friday of every month. Brooklyn's Radio. Brooklyn's Radio. It's Jill Bennett on Brooklyn's Radio. Welcome back. So we're here, we're still talking about September being Gynecological Awareness Month, sorry, Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month, and we've got lots of lovely guests with us here today. We've heard all of their stories and we've heard about the roles that um, Dr. Norman and Christina are undertaking at the moment, and we've got some amazing fundraisers. We all know that the earlier cancer is detected and treated, the greater chance a woman has of surviving. So would you all like to give a piece of advice, something based on what happened to you that might help someone who's listening, who might be experiencing something or maybe having some resistance from a doctor? And then we'll come to to, um, Alex last, if that's okay, and then he can pick up the threads and... um, and tell us more. Maybe if we will start with Helen. Right. Um, I think if anything is unusual for you, um, you really do need to sort it out, even if what you're experiencing doesn't tick the symptoms that are right at the top of the list um, that you might see published. So for instance, for endometrial cancer, the symptom that everyone talks about is for a postmenopausal woman um, bleeding, which I didn't have, or at least if I did have it, it, was, it wasn't really discernible to the human eye. I just had just this rather pathetic watery discharge. And I think if I hadn't started to experience some pain as well, I probably would have delayed going to the doctor, in which case I wouldn't have had possibly the benefits um, Um, of an early diagnosis so I think anything you feel isn't quite right you need to go and see your GP. Good advice Helen. Pandy? Um, I would um, completely agree with Helen there and would just like to reiterate that yet nobody knows your body better than we do do they Um, and also to push the GP a little bit because the symptoms are so subtle for ovarian um, Anything, anything that is untoward, it just feels a little bit off. Go see them, but push if they poo-poo it. Um, you know, you just need to keep going back, keep going, keep going back, really. Mm. Thank you, thank you. And um, Sylvie? I totally agree with these um, lovely um, ladies, uh, but um, I would say that you, for me, in my opinion, you should stick to... Um, doctors and you trust because I kept changing doctors because whoever was available and I think if you stick to one 
good doctors and you trust, a good GP, and he gets to know you, you build a rapport, and um, that could be picked up a bit easier because he gets to know you a bit more. Um, and also, um, you know, if you've got only one symptom, don't think you don't have ovarian cancer because you could only have one of the symptoms and not five or six, six of the symptoms. Sometimes I thought, oh, I haven't got that symptom, so it can't be ovarian cancer, but you can only sometimes have one and it's enough to have ovarian cancer. Yeah, good um, advice. Good advice, yeah. Sylvie. And I think that's the ideal opportunity to bring in Dr. Norman because clearly he is a very switched on doctor who has been in the role he has with the being the primary care lead for Surrey and Sussex Cancer Alliance is so much more aware than perhaps other doctors are. What advice would you give, Dr. Norman? Uh, thank you, Jill. <clears throat> um, I mean, first of all, um, thank you for those stories. Um, and, and it is actually good to hear that some of those GPs really were on the mark and did make the referral on, on what seemed quite mild symptoms to, to, to some of you being so fit and healthy. I, I am going to reiterate, um, it is absolutely unusual for you. Um, if it is something different that is bothering you, um, um, that, that 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 is just something something different something new. Go and tell your GP. Uh, I, I absolutely agree as well. It's nice to have a GP that trusts you. Sometimes there are people that walk through the door, and I just know there's something afoot here, and and this is not the person that I know. Um, but Helen, you obviously don't go to the GP that often, and 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 that sends alarm bells as well because hold on, here's a person that really doesn't come that often. Um, and uh, 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 and so then you don't have that rapport. Um, and Pandy, yeah, I, crikey, so so fit and healthy, this 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 can't happen uh, happen to this person. And, and GPs are blinded like that as well. Um, so fantastic that, that, that they, they went for that. But if, if say, they hadn't have gone um, and, and organised that scan or organised the blood test, um, what would you have done? Would you have gone to another GP? Uh, would you have kept going? And and I I, I think that's that that is difficult um, because I, 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 you sort of sometimes GPs can still be saying, oh, the GP told me it's all right. Um, and I would absolutely positively reinforce, no, if there's something that you just don't feel right, don't sit on it. It is easy to arrange a blood test and an ultrasound scan, and these are quick things. And for the majority, they rule in or out. Most of the time, it's fine. Um, but the symptoms are so mild in, in, in those earlier stages, and we've got to try and really shift it to those earlier stages. So the NHS is just going to have to do more tests, I'm afraid. And, um, I, I, and if we want to get early diagnosis and therefore better outcomes, um, we do more tests, and and that's why I'm trying to support getting more scanners, getting edu education out there, um, so that we we don't what we call gatekeep, but we gate open to investigations to support you. Um, it's a two-way process, um, uh, and hopefully by doing these sorts of things, educating more, and 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 actually this sort of thing where you are uh, you in your own groups as well. So if somebody's just not quite right, get down to your GP. Don't sit on it. Uh, I, I, and it just gets that word out there. Um, so uh, something like this that um, uh, just starts that ball and that conversation rolling um, really helps. Um, uh, hope that hope that helps a little that bit. That really helps. That really helps. Thank you. Um, if at the moment it's obviously more difficult to sit, physically see a doctor when we're having telephone consultations, I guess the thing to do is just to really insist and say, look. I'd feel much more reassured if I could have a blood test and a scan. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, practice working in different ways at the moment, but uh, I, I absolutely um, everybody should have a face-to-face -face appointment if they would like one. Um, I, I, and we're all aware of the struggles of the NHS and capacity at the moment. But if somebody has got symptoms that need investigation, like a presenting with gynecological cancers, tummy pain, etc., I, I would be insistent on a face-to-face -face if it's not offered. Um, and so, again, um, if it is a good GP um, uh, uh, that, that you trust, they, they will be no con concerns about offering that, I would hope. Fantastic. Thank you. And finally, can we just go back to Christina and say, Christina, is there, obviously, you've noticed um, lots of things during your 
trials and your research in mirrors. Is there any piece of advice you'd like to give to everybody? So I definitely echo the piece of advice that we received from Helen, Sylvie and um, Pandy. Um, But the thread that I've really noticed with my mirrors ladies is, and maybe it's a lockdown thing, a pandemic thing, but a number of these ladies presented with urinary tract infections and they were treated with antibiotics and they weren't getting any better. So they had changes in their bladder habit that were thought to be quite reasonably, I guess, uh, urinary tract infections, but actually they were a sign of ovarian cancer. And I think if you are presenting perhaps around the time of the menopause or even, you know, in your 40s with suddenly with urinary tract infections when you've never suffered with them before, maybe that's something that should be triggering people's minds. So, you know, the message about bloating has come and it, it, that is a red flag. If somebody says, I feel really bloated, people pick up on that. But I think if you come with what sounds very much like a urinary tract infection, I don't think that would necessarily make people um, think they've got ovarian cancer. And actually, I've had one, one lady outside of the study who, who presented with urinary tract infections and ended up having you know, slim lady like Helen having a a very high grade endometrial cancer. So I think it is these subtle signs. And I think the second thing I'd say is be persistent. You know, if it's not right, you know, doctors aren't there to make mistakes or miss things, but clearly common things are common. But if the initial treatment you're given doesn't make it better, you're treated for a urinary tract infection quite appropriately, but you don't get better, come back, say it's not right, you know, perhaps request a scan or blood test and, and... that may help jog people's memory because <laughs> the GPs I've had stories of GPs being fantastic you know really on the ball really quick getting people in particularly with with different difficult times over the last year so thank you thank you thank you all that was just some amazing stories some fantastic fundraising two medical professionals giving us brilliant advice and lovely Gemma organising it all. So I'd just like to say thank you to everyone. It's a really, really important topic. And I think one key message I'll repeat again is the earlier any of these cancers are detected, the greater the chance you have of surviving. So please go to your GPs, get the smallest symptoms checked out, insist on having further tests if you really feel that you want to have your mind put at rest. And um We'll, I'm sure we'll be back to this topic in the future. So thank you all so much for joining us today. Brooklyn's Radio believes your health matters. 